Buongiorno and welcome to the Global Podcast, where we keep you up to date on the latest trends and insights on diplomacy in international development. I'm your host, Jesu Antonio Baez, Director of Pax Techum Global Consultancy, based here in London, which produces this series. In this podcast, I sit down with thought leaders, diplomats, and experts on the field, as well as provide analysis from our own team at Pax to talk more about the need for diplomacy in international development in order to foster political will around greater social impact and good. So grab your headphones and let's get on with the show. On today's episode of the Global Podcast, we're going to explore notions on the need for sustainable development in order to foster greater peace. Uh, And with the state of global affairs, it appears more and more we're entering a more bellicose period in our modern recollection than previously experienced. Well, at least for those of us who were born in this modern day and age and listening to this glorious podcast. And with the increasing tension, particularly in the Middle East, and most particularly within the Israeli-Palestinian areas, it has led many to wonder whether or not there could be potential for peace between various factions and groups. Of course, the greatest toll within the conflict is social divides that has occurred, particularly between Jews and Arabs within the country of Israel. Encouraged by rhetoric from various groups, making it more difficult for parties to sit at the table and foster a shared society within Israel. But what if startups and businesses focused on nonprofits filled in the gap where governments and other civil societies have potentially failed? What is the role they can play in really fostering a potential for peace and dialogue, especially within Israel? As a case in point, I'm delighted to actually shed light on one particular nonprofit that is doing just that. Sofen, a nonprofit organization based in Nazareth, founded in 2008 by Jewish and Arab high tech professionals to develop the high tech sector in Arab community as an economic lever and catalyst for a shared society in Israel. And they are no joke because in 2016, Sofan won Speaker of Israel Parliament's prize for promoting mutual understanding between Jews and Arabs. And joining us from Sofan to discuss their work in bridging the gap between Jews and Arabs in Israel are Naama Nager and Hans Shakur. Now, Ms. Naama Nager is the Director of Development at Sofen, who has extensive experience working and volunteering with civil society groups and movements to promote peace and justice within Israel and Palestine. She earned her master's in political sociology from London School of Economics and Political Studies and later studied towards a PhD in sociology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where she actually directed cross-campus dialogue initiative under the vice provost for diversity and worked as a lecturer and teaching assistant for a while. Now, for Mr. Hans Shakur, he is an entrepreneur, researcher, and innovation catalyst, and one of the key figures in the Israeli high-tech scene spearheading initiatives of economic development, tech innovation, and impact, all of which are aiming to interconnect Israeli ecosystem with the Arab society and to foster collaboration, inclusion, and a better future. He's also the founder of Mobile Monday Nazareth, a community platform, hub manager at Slush Global Impact Accelerator, 
co-founder of Games for Peace, and founder of Markitect, an internet solution and WASP company. Recently, Hans was chosen by Geek Time as one of the top 100 influencers in the Israeli high-tech scene and one of the 70 diverse role models of the flourishing Israeli tech entrepreneur ecosystem. As you can see, extremely capable people to really highlight the work of Sofen, and we are absolutely over the moon to have them on. So welcome to the Global Podcast. Hello, thank you. Well, before we actually de- dive into really the work of Sofen and you know what the organization is and what it has been doing to really foster a society uh, for Jews and Arabs in Israel, particularly over tech, I think it, it wouldn't be fair if we didn't actually talk and at least describe a little bit for the audience just so they get an understanding of what the actual dynamics are in Israel concerning the two groups, for example. So I was wondering if we could hear from your words, what has been the relationship um, between Israeli Arabs and Israeli Jews over the years and you know not considering in regards to the Palestinian territories but actually within Israel within Israeli citizens in this case if you can explain that a little bit understand what that need was yes I'd love to well um, Arabs in Israel are about 20% of the population and it is important to understand that Jews and Arabs are by far and large segregated Uh, They live, we live in separate cities and towns. We, for the large part, work in different uh, areas. So you can de facto speak about two economies in Israel. Um, The Arab poverty rate in Israel is around 50%, whereas for Jews, it's only about 13%, 13 13.5%. So vast inequalities, disparities among Arabs and Jews. And you can speak about structural discrimination of Arabs in most economic spheres of life. Um, what Sofen is targeting most uh, uh, importantly is the underrepresentation of Arabs in the high-tech sphere because the high-tech sector is leading Israeli economy. It is pushing the entire Israeli economy forward. It's the single most important sector in terms of export, in terms of contribution to the GDP. And it is the single most important sector that could offer mobility options for uh, Israelis of all kinds. And so the fact that Arabs are by far and large marginalized, uh, excluded from this economic sector, has been detrimental to their economic chances. Well, that's interesting in regards to the fact that they have been excluded, because when we're talking about Arabs in this context, we're act- if I'm understanding correctly, we're talking about Arabs who are citizens of, of, of Israel who are being mm-hmm. excluded. Is that- so what, I mean, why has there been such a divide? I mean, clearly, uh, one doesn't need to go into the history to really understand maybe certain, certain angsts going on, but why has there been this sort of discrimination towards their own fellow citizens? Of course, one could say the same thing about many other countries, but in this case, why such particularly if they form such a considerable number and and could potentially be a source of economic contribution. Why has there been such a divide in that sense? Well, for many years, uh, the high-tech scene uh, that uh, evolved in Israel and today is leading not just uh, Israel's economy, but also you know, uh, entitling Israel to, to be named as the startup nation, uh, was uh, developed as a closed garden. Uh, it wasn't accessible populations uh, outside the mainstream, specifically Arabs. So uh, for many years, till 2008, 
uh, Arabs who are over 20% of the population, uh, were less than half a percent of, uh, in the Israeli high tech, though uh, many of them, uh, hundreds of them, uh, uh, possessed uh, high tech or, or a degree, university degree in high tech. And uh, the, the main reason was not just the closed garden, but also uh, the lack of the right skill set, uh, the lack of the right uh, network, uh, the right connections, uh, the right experience. Uh, high tech is not just about uh, having an academic degree, and Arabs have the right academic degrees, but is about the right skill set that caters to the needs of the industry at any given moment. So this was uh, the situation till 2008, where Tsofen uh, was established. And, and I'd just like to add to that, that uh, when you speak about discrimination, uh, oftentimes people uh, mistakenly associate discrimination with a, an active act, an active action. The discrimination oftentimes is structural, it's organizational, mm -hmm. it's not necessarily out of malintent mm -hmm. it, it was by the by the sheer fact that most israeli high-tech came out of the military mm. the largest some of the largest innovations came out of the military and high-tech is highly uh, based on friend referrals it's a uh, it's not just a closed uh, uh, a garden like hans said it was a a, a boys club a jewish boys <laughs> club uh where both women and arab could not find a way in because uh, uh, former military soldiers were recruiting each other's friends uh, uh, to this club. And uh, by law, Arabs in Israel are exempt from military service. So they didn't have this entry point. So their, their exemption from military service in actually inhibited them for actually taking part in this high-tech boom but completely in a way unintentionally it just happened that way because of course mm -hmm. of all this concept okay so so and, and and just just for the sake of the audience to understand why were they exempt from it if, if they are considered to be uh, citizens of, of israel why were they exempt from it of course i know that there's also um uh, the or there's an orthodox group who have also had the chance to be exempt that as well correct. but why were the arab israelis exempt in this case this is going back to a history that i think uh, maybe will take too long to rehash at this point i will just say that both all of these groups who are exempt from military service face similar if not identical obstacles when trying to enter high tech because the recruitment policies of hr in high tech are based on this friend referrals are based on social networks that go back to the military and that's something that we as often are trying to change yeah, so the, the social capital, the right social capital wasn't accessible and uh, they weren't, uh, you know, swimming in the same stream. Uh, they weren't serving in the same units. So this, uh, this gap uh, uh, affected everything for many years. But this is what, uh, what brought us to, you know, to, 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 to make a change. Uh, on one hand, to bring more Arabs, more Arab academics to join the high-tech industry, and on the other hand, to attract high-tech companies to come and uh, open uh, uh, branches or establish branches, uh, R&D sites, uh, development sites uh, for high-tech in Arab towns, attracting Arabs and Jews to work together. And this is the difference, it's not just Arabs leaving their towns every day, 
uh, joining the industry in Tel Aviv or in Haifa, but also uh, Jews coming to Nazareth to work with Arabs in the high-tech industry uh, evolving here. And it's, and it's interesting you're saying in regards to the fact for Jews and Arabs to work together because it's bringing me to my next question, which is to understand for uh, for our audience uh, how Tzofen came to being because uh, clearly your main mission is to foster the dialogue between uh, Jews and Arabs through high tech and, of course, working to each other. So Tzofen mm-hmm. coming into being, what was the key gap? Was it because of the fact that, in actual fact, Jews and Arabs were simply not working with each other at all, full stop? But what was the origin of Tzofen, the inspiration that led it to be to go where it is? In 2008, uh, there were m- many reasons. The first and most important one, th- uh, that uh, Arabs uh, uh, possessed a high-tech degree, thousands of them, possessed a high-tech degree from universities, but only 20% of them uh, work in the Israeli high-tech. We're speaking about 350 engineers in 2008 out of about uh, 1,400 graduates. Uh, So many uh, academic uh, talent uh, was untapped. You know, they weren't employed in their uh, field of uh, expertise. They were underemployed or unemployed uh, and sometimes employed in other fields, mostly, you know, to become teachers at schools, uh, not necessarily working in high tech and contributing to to uh, innovation and to the economy. So this is this uh, this is uh, this was the, the first and most important reason, but also it's often realized uh, that uh, if we don't uh, uh, come to interaction eye to eye and in any scene, not just high tech, high tech, medicine, you name it, uh, how can we build a better future? How can we know each other better? How can we foster any kind of uh, knowing each other and reconciliation uh, and maybe build peace? Uh, so uh, it started happening uh, with Arab academics in the fields of uh, medicine, law, uh, accountancy, pharmacy, where you can find that over 40, sometimes 50 percent uh, of the work workforce, for uh, for example, in uh, for pharmacists are Arabs. And what qualifies you to become a pharmacist or a medical doctor? or a a lawyer can also qualify you to become uh, an engineer. And Arabs weren't, uh, you know, running uh, to pursue a high tech, uh, a degree in high tech, because they were afraid that they will not be employed, you know, with the low employability. Uh, And Sofen came to change that, like I said, uh, hundreds or maybe more uh, Arab academics uh, had the right degree, but they weren't employed and so often uh, started, you know, by uh, addressing the, uh, their needs and at the same time to try to cater to the needs of the industry so they will become employable. This was the start of Sofen and uh, as a vision and as a mission, it was clear that without having more Arabs and Jews working together, uh, the whole idea of shared society or peace building won't be realistic. Absolutely. I would like to add to that. 
I would like to add to that two words, work together as equals. Mm. Because uh, is the, the Israeli economy, uh, within Israeli economy, Arabs have, until today, occupied by large and by far and large the uh, uh, position in agriculture and services. These two sectors employ the, exactly, and some low-tech production, but not enough industry. Uh, and Jews, the way Jews look at Arabs uh, are as uh, people who do the service, <laughs> servants, if you will. Jews are used to, in Israel, are used to go to Arab cities, cities that are inhabited by majority Arab population, to shop and sometimes to visit, but never to work. So the idea was that it's not enough that Arabs come to work in the service industry and service sectors in Jewish cities uh, that uh, sustain their economy, but to work together in the same workplace as equal peers on equal terms. Which is brilliant because that con concept will be one that actually leads towards much more sustainable peace because once there's an, an understanding of the other, then you know any particular perceived fears or any particular biases that what has held mm -hmm. start to really disappear because you start you know you start to say wait a minute you know Hamdi is just like like Noam there's no difference between us you know we are the same in that sense and that could be seen whether it's from the um, uh, I uh, Northern Irish and Ireland issue or whether it's coming even from the United States with Hispanics and with Mexicans and 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 and, and white Americans for example in regards understanding us wait a minute you know we're we're the exact same uh pool here so we've talked about so far in regards they they came to being but what have been your programs in regards to making this happen for this vision? Because clearly there's a need. We have to foster a sense of uh, uh, shared equality between Israeli Arabs and Israeli Jews, and of course using it via high tech. So what have you been doing exactly to make that happen? Well, on uh, on one hand, invest in and foster the human talent, or the uh, we can call it today the growing human talent uh, in the Arab society, speaking about Arab academics with the right a, a academic background to 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 increase their employability and on the and and to bring them uh, to join the industry to integrate them into the industry and uh, uh, and uh, this means working with them uh, from uh, their you know early years in the in the in the academy uh, and uh, the, you know during their uh, graduation and even after their gradua graduation uh, to join the industry via different programs we're speaking about a practical real experience where we some some of that is uh, technical uh, training some of that is uh, you know building the right skill set soft skills uh, simulations for interviews so it's working closely with with them to become employable and uh, and to meet the needs of the industry. It's not just it's not we're not you know a, a training institute uh, institute for uh, per se. We're not a placement institute per se, but we work closely with the industry and with the growing academic talent uh, 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 to connect them and uh, to make the Arab talent employable. Uh, and the programs uh, we offer grant uh, the candidates uh, with the right skill set, with the right uh, uh, technical 
uh, experience uh, and with the readiness to join the industry. Uh, no, I was just going to add to the two things that uh, Hans mentioned. The, on the one hand side, the whole part of nurturing human capital and the second part of the business development, working with the private sector. We are also working with the government because we're trying to institutionalize what we're doing. We're trying to mainstream what we're doing in the work of the government. And so we're trying to push for policy that increases investment in high tech in Arab society. Uh, successfully so. Our work led to uh, the Ministry of Labor allocating so far $4.2 million in trainings and placement of Arab uh, high-tech engineers. Uh, we have managed to work with the Ministry of Economy and Industry, and as a result, it has allocated about $2.5 million in wage subsidies to high-tech firms employing Arab engineers. Um, we have last year managed to, it's taken us several years, but last year the government uh, made a historical resolution to build the first two public high-tech zones in Arab cities at an investment of around $7 million. Um, and that's something that we hope to continue doing because we think that, that uh, uh, with all due respect to Tsofen, we're only uh, uh, one NGO and we're trying to work against something that we think is a market failure. And uh, ideally, it should be the market forces and the government who also take responsibility for this and also fund these activities. Absolutely, mm -hmm. absolutely. And even at PAX, that's why we even, we've we even come to existence is because we truly believe there is a, a role between nonprofits, NGOs, startups and the government to really to, to link together for the sake of sustainable development. And clearly what SOFIT is doing is so fundamental because in order to have sustainable development, you must have sustainable peace in order for that to actually foster. I wanted to also ask in this sense, you're, you're working with the government in that sense. You've identified what the need is. You're allowing uh, capacity building for, for Arabs within high tech, which is, the, which is uh, crucial for sustainable development. Yes. Because it's not about just giving the job, because if they don't have the skill set for the job and they're fired, you know, what are you going to do? It's about getting them to really have that capacity to not only get that job, but let's say if that doesn't work, to get the next job and flourish and develop and grow, which is going to only contribute to the economy. So mm -hmm. have there any, been any success stories that you could potentially share with? Uh, one thing that's coming into my mind is, have there been successes in converting, let's say, Israeli companies to say, oh, wait a minute, there is extreme employability within the Arab community. What have we been doing this whole time? Let's start bringing mm -hmm. them in. When we speak about achievements, we can speak about uh, uh, about it uh, in two aspects. The one aspect is uh, the growing uh, a number of Arab engineers working in the Israeli industry. Uh, in 2008, we were speaking about only 350 engineers working the whole Israeli high-tech or high-tech in Israel. And today we are speaking about uh, about 6,500 engineers working in the industry. That's, uh, you know... Arab engineers. Arab yes. engineers. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, and and growing, you know, today we're speaking about uh, something like between 700 to 1,000 new uh, Arab engineers joining the industry every year. Uh, so there's, a, at the same time, there's a growing, uh, not a growing, of talent of uh, Arab engineers who can not just 
uh, work in QA or coding, but in research and development, we're also seeing a massive amount of uh, young uh, Arabs pursuing a degree in, in uh, Israeli uh, academic institutions uh, in high tech. Uh, between, just a figure, between 1984 for 30 years till 2014, uh, the number, the total number of Arab graduates in uh, science and engineering, high tech, were 1,598 in Israel only. So 30 years. Mm. It, it means something like, like 50 in a year, and most of them weren't employed back then. Today, we are speaking not just about 6,500 engineers already working in the industry, but about 5,600 students studying at the Israeli academic institutions and partially abroad for an academic degree in high tech, computer science, computer engineering, electrical engineering, uh, information systems, etc. So this is a major shift because, you know, Arabs are not afraid anymore of not having or not being employed in high tech. They are seeing many role models evolving around and growing uh, around. So uh, wh whoever uh, has the passion uh, for uh, computer-related uh, uh, subjects are not afraid anymore, is not uh, giving up and going uh, to pursue a degree in law instead of computers. Uh, or uh, pursuing a degree in medicine instead of computers, uh, today uh, he has the confidence that uh, that uh, the market is ready, the the atmosphere is ready, the infrastructure is ready to 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 have a, to join the industry and have a decent job. Uh, he or she. He or she. <laughs> More yeah. than a quarter of all. The when Arab we speak about yeah, when we speak about uh, uh, Arab students, uh, around sixty percent of them are Arab women. So this is also a, ma a major shift. On the other hand, uh, we we leverage the growing pool of talent to attract uh, high tech companies to open uh, branches or R&D sites in Arab towns. And uh, what we have done in Nazareth is, is uh, in my eyes, is remarkable and it's still growing. Today, you know, back then in 2008, uh, there was only one company, a uh, high tech company operating in Nazareth, which was a local company, and only 30 engineers worked in Nazareth as service providers. Today we are speaking about 1,000, almost 400 engineers, Arabs and Jews, working in Nazareth in over 50 companies. Some of them uh, are multinational companies. Uh, you can, you know, Microsoft, Broadcom, uh, Personetics, Salesforce, uh, Amdox, Alpha Omega, and some uh, local companies, uh, software development houses, uh, uh, together with over 40 Arab-led or co-led startups uh, being established and uh, offering uh, employment, uh, high-quality employment not far from, you know, your residence or your town. Uh, so this is a major achievement, not just that what Nama just mentioned about the government allocations of budget. 
It's also about the real outcomes. The real outcomes today is that there are 6,500 Arab engineers working in the Israeli high tech. And if you multiply this by, uh, by the salaries they are getting, we're speaking about the contrib contribution to the you know, Arab families of millions of millions of dollars every year. Uh, and uh, when we speak about having companies opening branches in Nazareth and this this evolving nice ev uh, mo the nice model evolving in Nazareth, this is something we can replicate with the right adjustments to other Arab towns to capitalize on the growing talent everywhere, not just in Nazareth in the north, but also in the Triangle area, also in the Negev, maybe in 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 Upper Galilee. Uh, so this is a model we can replicate, and when uh, you know, usually, in, uh, when we speak about high tech, every high tech job uh, creates many other jobs around in services, and uh, in 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 uh, transportation, in catering, etc. So having more companies establish. A presence, uh, R&D sites uh, in Nazareth uh, is not just creating employment, but but also contributing to the local economy of any given town, and at the same time, uh, it's contributing, you know, to to the development of the whole ecosystem as as part, as integral part of the advanced Israeli cluster. We're not speaking about, you know, a. a, a uh, a segregation, we're speaking about inclusion, we're speaking about having a, a local ecosystem that is part of a bigger one and a global one. And today we are in a unique position back then in 2008 to solve the problems, uh, to solve the problem of unemployed or partially employed Arab academics was a social problem. Today we are speaking about a business case because on the one, on one hand, there is a growing pool of talent. On the other hand, the Israeli industry is suffering a shortage or a growing shortage of today 15,000 engineers. So when we speak about 6,500 Arab engineers already employed and about 5,600 students that are about to graduate, we're speaking that Arabs who, you know, 21% of the population in general can solve almost 40 to 50% of the immediate need of the uh, immediate need or the shortage of the Israeli industry, you know, instead of uh, outsourcing uh, uh, jobs, uh, jobs uh, to Ukraine or to India, why not to outsource these jobs to all Israel citizens? Why not to why why not to have all Israel citizens to become a one big startup nation, enjoying the fruits of the economy uh, and the progress so this is what Sofin is doing it, 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 we're trying to you know to, to bring the high-tech uh, scene outside Tel Aviv to become to, as a you know to become something for all for Arabs and on the other hand there are there are other NGOs similar to Sofin uh, who are trying to do the same with the uh, Jewish Orthodox communities with Ethiopian uh, communities uh, and others. And uh, this is something we are proud of because it's not just about solving, uh, you know, specific local problems. It's about this, you know, systematic approach trying to solve a, a bigger project. 
And there's a win-win situation. On one hand, the Arab academics needs it. The Arab society needs it. The high-tech industry is suffering a shortage that can be solved, if not at all, but at, at least you know 50% of it by Arab talents. And the Israeli economy needs it. The Israeli economy uh, now, uh, you know, it's not. It's often speaking about it. It's uh, it's more the Bank of Israel and the Innovation Authority speaking about. The Israeli economy, you know, uh, uh, is on uh, on a risk of stagnation uh, because of the shortage in talents, the shortage in engineers. Uh, so uh, we are trying to solve it, you know, as a win-win situation for all. And this is a business case, not just a social problem. They're not just solving a social problem. With so much implications for the future, I mean, I, 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 just hearing you describe what the work is being done and what this can lead to, it just paints the complete picture of sustainable development because it's actually that inclusion, as you've indicated, which is really going to foster so much development. And honestly, I feel like this podcast could go on for hours just because there's so much more I would love to ask about because I feel there's so much that even other organizations can actually learn from the work that you're doing and that's what's going to take me to the final question that i want to pose is what has been the key takeaway that other nonprofits and startups can learn from the success of sofa i know you highlighted briefly there were others who are mimicking the work at sofa with the ethiopian jewish community with the uh, the the the, or, the very orthodox community so so what is the key takeaway that one can take from Sofan um, in really uh, reading the successes that you've been meeting with? I think uh, it's difficult to pick just one because depending on your uh, starting point, some people are more interested in our uh, business-oriented approach, uh, as Hans indicated, to solving what seems to be a social problem, and that's their major takeaway. We are happy to share our best practices, our lessons, and our model with uh, uh, anyone uh, just for instance, tomorrow we are participating, sorry, the day after tomorrow we're participating at a conference of joint management of shared society organizations in Israel who are all co-managed by both Jews and Arab co-CEOs. We are part of a group of organizations who have this model of shared management and that's one way uh, that one model, one lesson that you can take away from the way it often works. Uh, our entire management is half Jewish, half Arab. Uh, another way in which we're trying to share is we're exporting our model, actually. We think that it's relevant not only for other organizations in Israel, but also for organizations overseas, for underrepresented and mar mar marginalized communities overseas. We are working with Social Export Israel, who've been uh, attempting to export our model currently in French-speaking uh, states in Europe and hopefully in future in other places as well because we know that many in many states in many countries uh, minority populations marginalized population newcoming populations are facing similar obstacles similar hurdles to the ones that are faced by arab citizens in israel and so you can you can take away many many lessons depending in on whether you're interested in uh, high-tech integration and diversity or whether you're interested in uh, promoting. I will say, for me personally, I think um, Sofen is really about uh, some sort of perseverance and optimism at the same time, because um, 
Well, Hans was portraying uh, all of our achievements since 2008. The truth is, the first few years have been very difficult. Uh, not that many results, not that many achievements. And the major impact that we see now is the result of many uh, years of hard work, uh, many efforts in different directions, not all of them bore fruit. So I think that uh, in a way, it's really about setting your vision, having a clear mission, uh, and having a strategy that accounts for a lot of patience while still committed to your own values, not uh, drifting your mission, uh, uh, but staying true to uh, the core value of what's driving you forward. And for us, it's uh, really building high tech in order to create a lever for economic uh, uh, prosperity and shared society in Israel. I have one advice only to, to you know to share with other communities or organizations. Uh, look for the business case <laughs> and uh, invest in the human talent, the human capital, and then attract the business sector to come in. Uh, this is by far uh, the only way to attract, you know, a business sector to be part. It's, uh, we, for many years, many uh, companies, high tech companies were, you know, contributing here and there for impact and the corporate social responsibility. And I think that it, it should it should become a part of their policy, mm-hmm. business policy, you know, yeah, and, and practice. So for other communities, look for the business case and then, you know, invest in human capital and attract the business sector to become your partner. And indeed, as you've indicated, this is so much, there's so much positive in the work of Tsofed. And I think this is just so much positive in regards to what is going on in Israel beyond what, what the media is also showing. Because, yes, there's much that is going on, but there is still that granule of 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 the as one would say in Spanish, Spanish the the si se puede like the yes we can notion yes. <laughs> that's going on and it's it's been such a joy speaking with you both about the work of Zofen. Likewise. It's absolutely phenomenal. And for those of us, who, those of our listeners who are listening uh, and you happen to be in Israel, uh, just so you know, there are some upcoming events that are taking place from SOFAN, including their annual summit on the 29th of July um, within Israel and, of course, within the majority Arab Triangle region. And, of course, their international makeathon on the 20th to the 21st of September, to which they invite participating teams from around the world. So, if you very much enjoy listening to this podcast, as I have very much enjoyed speaking with them, uh, you can definitely take part. So, Nama and uh, Hans, it's been an absolute pleasure. Continue the good work, and we will be looking forward to following your successes. Thank you very much for joining the Global Thank Podcast. You very much. Thank you. That brings us to the end of this edition of the Global Podcast. I'm Jesu Antonio Baez, Director of Pax Second Global Consultancy, which produces this series. Please do check out our website at www.paxtechumglobal.org That's P-A-X-T-E-C-U-M-G-L-O-B-A-L dot org to discover more about our work. You can also follow this podcast and the work of PAX on both Twitter and LinkedIn. And if you like this podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and of course subscribe on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Join us next week for another edition. And until next time, grazie e ci sentiamo presto. Ciao!